Hey guys, welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. It's Liz Kelly, host of Tea Time. Exciting news happening across the podcast network. Your favorite celebrity and pop culture podcasts are moving out of Channel 33 and into their very own feed called Ringer Dish. On Ringer Dish, you can still listen to Jam Session on Wednesdays and Tea Time on Fridays, and we'll be launching a brand new show that'll publish every Monday, starting with a deep dive on J-Lo and Ben Affleck's infamous relationship hosted by Amanda Dobbins and Juliette Lippmann. So to hear more about the royal family and our current celebrity obsessions, subscribe to Ringer Dish on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome to Against All Odds, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Cousin Sal here. I am also joined by heel producer Jim Cunningham. What's happening, Jim? Not much, Sal. How you doing? I'm good. I, I, well, you and I were better than Tate. Tate Frazier, Master Tate is back. He's laid up at home. He's got back issues, right? Supposedly, allegedly. I think he's uh, practicing for the <laughs> spelling bee. He saw eight people won this year, so he's hoping like he could be in the top 16 next year. Is that what he's doing? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> All right. Well, he claims it's from uh, carrying Titus on One Shining Podcast. He has oh, yeah, massive back injuries. It's, it's never going to end, but we, we do wish him well. We wish him back, although we love having uh, Jim on as well. Um, and we also love having my gurus of gambling, my barons of betting, my wizards of wagering, the degenerate trifecta brother, Bri, Harry, and Darren, the Polly kid. What's happening, fellas? What's going on, Sal? Hey, Sal. What's going on, buddy? Oh, there's just too much show. There's too much show, guys. In two weeks, we're going to have no show. We're going to be uh, previewing <laughs> hot dog eating contests and... Um, Thailand's improbable run in the Women's World Cup. Nonsense like that. But for now, there's so much. There's NBA Finals. We're going to preview Game 3. Meta World Peace is going to join us. He has a documentary out on Showtime. That's phenomenal. Um, NHL, we're up to Game 5 in the Stanley Cup. We want to talk about Anthony Joshua and, uh, and Ruiz. What a fight that was. One of the biggest upsets in heavyweight history. We're going to go over best bets. Riverboat Casino, so much. The generic trifecta went one and two last week. Um, well, that wasn't. The, let's first get to this. We broke news, guys. We broke news. My interview with uh, Lamar Odom. He admitted to uh, you know he has a little thing for Khloe Kardashian again. And then all of a sudden, People.com is reporting on it. It's not enough that we're the number one uh, sports gambling podcast in America. Not enough that we have ten million downloads. Now we're breaking news, Parlay Kid. Can you believe this? Where does it end for us? Very, <laughs> very impressive, Sal. What, what do you make, People? Was it People Magazine uh, you made? Yeah, that? People Magazine, I guess we, the, the dot .com. Yeah, maybe wow. not print, but wow. yeah. That, yeah. That, that's, uh, wow, that, that, is, that was breaking news, Sal. I mean, that was the very next day that, was, that, that, that hit the news. So, um, unbelievable. Yes. Great job by you, uh, Thank you on that. Great job. Yeah, bro. Our publicist finally, finally sprung to action. And you know what? We have Meta World Peace, like I said, coming on. Uh, very good odds that we break news once again. I mean, that guy has a lot to say. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the trifecta. I mentioned briefly, you guys were one and two with your best bets last week. Harry saved everybody, ch- chasing snakes in his yard. It ended up being a good luck charm. He was able to somehow p- pick the most popular golfer in the world, uh, Tiger Woods, to come in top 10 and he came in ninth, right? Harry, good job. Yeah. And then final round on Sunday, he shot a 67. Uh, he was at one point on Sunday, seven under through 12 and had gotten to a tie for fourth, but 
His bogey on 18 put him in a tie for 10th at the time and then needed some help, which he got when Emiliano Grillo needed to par, at least par 18. Uh, and then Darren's guy from a couple podcasts ago, Bud Cauley, had to bogey 18, which they did. And just like that, Tiger slipped into a tie for ninth and a sneaky top 10 finish winner. Insane. All right, well, we're going to have uh, Joe House on to preview the U.S. Open next week. He'll be on Tuesday. Um, Brother Bry, uh, uh, this doesn't do you justice, and it's so hard to remember this. Warriors' first quarter, game one, I don't think they scored for like the last four minutes or something, that loss. But more importantly, let's talk about this real quick. You have put together some streak in women's softball. You have picked 16 games in a row successfully. You've cashed. Um, by the time anyone listens to this, it'll either be 17 or zero. Could be the last game. You have UCLA plus one and a half over Oklahoma. Good job by you, 16 in a row. Good. I can't believe that. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure how it's happened. Yeah, I've just bet all I've bet is on those these 16 teams. I've gotten them all right. I, I would say though, it's probably like 11 to 12 different bets because I probably had a couple parlays early on. But it's you know I've I've hit uh, at Oklahoma losing to Alabama at Alabama plus 250. I had Alabama getting like two and a half runs against Oklahoma in the first game. I had UCLA last night. It's been uh, a crazy run. Um, I didn't think I could top my lacrosse run, but it's, this has been really amazing. But I do feel bad. I haven't had a chance to really give them out. The only problem sometimes with these odds are, except for maybe yeah. the finals here, you don't get the odds put out there until like an hour, an hour and a half, sometimes like 30 minutes before the game. So it's very, you know, and you have to find these on like very specialized sites. So. Um, I do apologize because I would like well, to. Well, no, don't apologize, man. brother. Bro. I listen, people want to make money. They got to they gotta do some investigation. They have to look into it. You want Springsteen tickets that go on sale and they're only on sale for 10 minutes before they're all bought up. You got you to keep pressing refresh, right? So that's what you're doing. You're finding these lines. You're betting. You're pounding them and you're winning. Good for you. There's no apologies on this show, heel producer, Jim. That, that's, uh, that's Tate's way, you know. But uh, Parlay Kid. Uh, you had game two. Like I said, this is a week ago. It's hard to remember. You had the yeah. Bruins and the under on a parlay. It stayed under. The Bruins lost to the Blues. Uh, we'll be talking yeah. NHL later. Um, yeah, it's, uh, we'll, we'll get into that. But I want to talk uh, NBA with you. Let's start off with you. Game three, Golden State. Boy, this line is flying around. It's five. It's six. They just announced today that uh, Looney is out. Uh, Clay Thompson is questionable. Uh, right. Durant is out for sure. You know, Kawhi Leonard is banged up. This series, all of a sudden, it's like everyone's limping to the finish line. I, I don't like that about this. It yeah. seems like the, the season ended two weeks too late. But you like uh, you like an exact game. If you want Golden State in five, it's plus 275. In six, it's plus 180. In uh, seven, plus 425. Toronto in five, 18-1. In six, 10-1. In seven, 4-1. You have an exact series uh, outcome yourself. What do you like? Yeah, so I, I kind of did this last week, too, because I still really maintain. Last last week, I got this at plus 500, so now it's still sitting at plus 425. Is Warriors winning this thing in seven games. Uh, I'm almost convinced now that with their injuries, with these wounded Warriors, uh, I'm not really sure how this isn't going to go seven, because I really do think uh, the Raptors are going to steal one of these next two games. Uh, it's going to be 2-2, and then you're going to see uh, a home win for the Raptors, a home win for the Warriors, and then you're going to take it back to uh, uh, to Toronto for that Game 7 where I think by that time uh, the Warriors could be back at full strength, 
and uh, you know they'll be playing for um, basically uh, what their uh, I would say reputation on the line, but at least where they could maybe be considered one of the greatest teams of all time uh, with a, another championship. So uh, I think it's still a plus four twenty five. Uh, I think that's really good value. Uh, I I don't see this. I, I know what did you say? Uh, five games was it? Wasn't uh, nearly that. Uh, five is plus really two seventy five. Yeah. Right. I mean, do we re- do we think the Warriors are winning three straight here? And um, I, I I don't no. think so. I certainly Probably don't think not. so. So it, Vegas thinks yeah. the uh, the most favored result is that Golden State wins in six. They thought that before the series, and then they split the first two, so they anticipated a split. I don't know. If you had Golden State in six to begin, and if you feel better about it now, in a way, I guess you should because they have momentum. They won the last game. On the other hand, Clay Thompson is shooting, is shoot around. Like, all right, maybe he'll make his shots, but defensively, he could he could be a liability. After yeah. a while, I, I just can't believe it. And you look at like Looney. You talk about Looney. Um, you know, it's like why it's June fourth. This team that had Durant, Cousins, uh, uh, Curry. And Draymond, I can't believe we're talking about Kevon Looney and what, what a difference he makes, but his plus-minus is top three on the team, so he is going to make a difference. Brother Bry, you have um, Draymond Green. You like a pr- player prop for Game 3, right? Yeah, for Game 3, I like over 31.5 points, rebounds, and assists. Look, this number has hovered for the last few weeks between 30.5 and 31.5 for each game, and I think it's too low for this game because I think he's going to be asked to shoulder a lot of the burden he seems to relish that opportunity. He's averaging 37.5 points, rebounds, and assists over the last five games. He seems to be an automatic at this point for 10 to 11 rebounds. So really what you're asking is 20 to 21 points and assists. And I think right now, probably through two games, I would say to me he's probably the MVP. He's probably played the best overall, especially in that game too. Just flying around defensively, just playing really well, grabbing a ton of boards. But again, I... I think you're probably going to get him. I feel like this line should be a little bit more like 32 and a half, 33. So 31 and a half to me seems low. So I, I love the over. I like that too. Like you said there, he's averaging the first two games a shade lower than a triple double. So if you think if he gets 12 points and a triple double, uh, you're already there at 32. Um, as far as the MVP goes, I agree. I agree. I think right now, I think you could have gotten him at nine to one going into this series. He's plus 350 right around now. I think right now, if it ends, he is the MVP. He's, you know, like I, like I said, the numbers are right there. He's really the the court general, right? And he's and he's fending off Drake in a, in a great way. Uh, stepped up in that regard in game two. Curry, though, I will say this is minus. You could find him at one twenty five, minus one twenty five to win MVP. Is he going to have a worse game than he did in game two? I don't think so. He didn't score in the fourth quarter. He's obviously sick or something. I think that could be something. If the Warriors take the next two, you could be looking at him at minus 600 by uh, by the time Friday night rolls around after that game. Harry, you are on uh, this game too, not the side, but the total. Yeah, I've got under 213 in this game. i got number numerous facts uh, that lean towards the under here. Uh, since the playoffs have started, Raptor games have gone under 213 points eight more times than they have gone over. And when these two played, I know I don't want to go too much into regular season, but when these two played in Oakland in the regular season, the game went under, and Curry shot three of 12 from the field, and him, Draymond, and Clay combined to shoot two of 16 from three-point range uh, that night. Uh, Toronto in the series right now, 
went from shooting 40% in game one from three-point range to 29% in game two and only shot 37% from the field while missing plenty of wide-open shots. Uh, some other numbers that are far from impressive through two games are Kawhi has only 13 made field goals on 34 shots, most of his points coming from the free-throw line. Kyle Lowry has as many fouls, 11, as assists. Van Vliet has come back to earth, shooting only 25% from three-point range, and despite having you know, to have to do just about everything on the court, Draymond is only 5 of 16 from the field, hasn't made a three, and has missed easy buckets, especially late in game one. Uh, the Parlay Kid and I always have said, what do head coaches really do in the NBA South? Well, Steve Kerr has a chance to show us. With all these injuries, he's going to have yep. to figure out how to get hoops out of players like Cook again, McKinney, Bogut, and exhausted Boogie Cousins. Uh, it's not going to be easy. Both teams, I feel here, struggled to get to triple digits. Under 213, play it. I could see that. I, I wouldn't play the total either way, but I would lean towards the other. If I had to do what I would do, it was a miracle undercover or a push, depending on what you had, if you had 213. I think it was 213 and a half most places. Game two ends up at 213. And, and to get there, you really needed the scoring droughts that you had. Golden State didn't hit in the first quarter. Uh, Toronto didn't make a basket first four and a half, five minutes of the third quarter. So you're going to have to count on droughts like that. I don't care who's on the floor for that to happen. But I guess if you have to go one way or another, it's the under. All right. Well, that takes us out of the NBA. That's going to be a lot of fun. That's tonight. Game three, game five, NHL. Let's talk quickly about this. Boston is a minus 160. St. Louis plus 145. The series has swung back to Boston. Over-unders five and a half for the series. Boston's minus 165 plus 140 on the take back for St. Louis. Um, Parlay Kid, I feel like it's you and Brother Bry of Boston and Harry has St. Louis. What, which way are you going? Yeah, <laughs> that's true, Sal. Uh, how's Bill? Is Bill able to sleep with all this uh, hockey going on, Sal? Has it been all right? Uh, I, the, I haven't checked on him. Right, I should check on him. Oh it's, man, it's, he must be so sweating. stressed over it. I'm sure, sure. <laughs> uh, no, but it's been a good series so far. I really think it's been very enjoyable. If you like hockey, it's been a really good series. I think uh, what we've seen here is uh, the games that the Bruins have won. Uh, they've been clearly uh, a dominant team, especially uh, you know the score has indicated that. Uh, and the games that the the Blues have won, I feel like the Blues have been real dominant at times. But uh, the Bruins have been able to keep those games, you know, uh, very close. Okay, like uh, like the other night, and obviously uh, where I lost on Game Two last week, we saw that overtime, right? When the Blues just dominated for like four minutes of overtime. Have you ever seen a a four minutes of domination like that? What the uh, no. what the Blues did to the Bruins in that overtime? Well, I but, guess I guess what uh, the Sharks is, did to come back and uh, beat Vegas, right? Oh, that <laughs> is true. That is true. Yeah, that's that's a great that's a great point. Um, but so on this game, look, this is one of these games. What's happened so far? Bruins win, Blues win. Bruins win, Blues win. Let's just go right back to it and say uh, Bruins at minus 160 in this game. I think, look, hockey tends to be the team that just shows a little bit more desperation, tends to win the game. I think uh, you know, some of the Bruins were saying that uh, the Blues seemed a little bit more desperate the other night. I do think... Uh, the Bruins come out with a little bit more fire than they showed in Game 4. Uh, and being that they do have a little bit more talent than the Blues, I think they win this game. At, and So take uh, minus 160 right there. 
from some playoff stats from covers the website covers the home teams. Yep. Probably kid. This you'll like this. Forty six and forty straight up. The over under. Yep. Is dead even. Forty forty and six. Um. Yep. What else do I want to see? Uh, oh, this is the crazy one. Favorites on the puck line, which is minus one and a half goals. Twenty four and sixty. How is that possible? How is that? that, that that's just. I, I feel like any time I have plus one and a half, I'm getting dumped in a, an empty netter with uh, eight <laughs> seconds left in, in that regard. Wow. But, uh, I guess yeah, that's 24 that and 60. Fuck lines. Huh. What's that? Was that you, Harry? Wow. What? Yeah. All right. Harry, what else do you have <laughs> other than wow? What Do you have You have uh, an exact uh, series result? That wasn't me, by the way. But anyway, uh, I couldn't disagree with Parlay Kid more. Uh, mm. I got the blues in six. At plus three hundred, guys, uh, what a gritty, uh, gritty, gr- a gritty, gutsy win <laughs> at home in Game Four for the Blues, especially coming off a seven-two drubbing in Game Three. Ten-year uh, vet Ryan O'Reilly is having his best season ever, and he's been clutching the postseason. He's leading this team with eighteen points in twenty-three playoff games, and has two assists and two goals, which included the game winner on Monday night through four games versus Boston. I've been riding this guy, Vladimir Tarasenko, uh, all playoffs. He scored. Uh, in nine of his last ten playoff games for St. Louis, defenseman Alex Peter Angelo was everywhere last night, shutting down the Bruins' offense and added two assists. Uh, the Blues finally got to Rask, which isn't easy to do. Just ask Carolina, and I'd actually ask Tate, but unfortunately, our buddy Tate isn't here, so feel better, Tate. Uh, but besides that, there have been uh, they have to take Game Five in Boston. This Blues team can accomplish it. They have been the ultimate road warriors in this uh, year's postseason. They are eight and three away from home, and are a plus eight goal differential on the road, and that includes winning Game Two in Boston by two goals. So when they take Game Five and win Game Six at home, it's going to be plenty of this all night long. Sal, trust me. Laura Branigan, take it away. Oh no. <laughs> All right, we could kind of hear it. I know, I know what you're saying. Got it. Uh, uh, Jim, uh, Hill producer Jim, who do we root for here? So many good things have happened to Bill Simmons. So many good things have happened to John Hamm. What, what, where, where is our rooting interest if you don't care either way? It's got to be against Boston. Against Boston. You're going against your boss. Yeah, I, well, I'm from New York. I, I, we can't have Boston winning everything. No, anymore. I know. Enough. <laughs> John Hamm is a big fan. Uh, Brother Bry, give us a good prop for uh, game five. Uh, yeah, it's funny. When I looked at some player props, I didn't necessarily love some of them. So the one I'm going to go with is Brad Marchant to not record a point uh, plus 140 in regulation. Look, I was staring at, I wanted to take him to have a point, uh, but minus 200 was way too high of a line for him to score, uh, to record a point. Because he's recorded points in five of six games and eight of 11, which sounds great. But overall in the playoffs, He's recorded a point in 12 of 21 games, so laying minus 200 was way too high. And plus, this is in regulation time, too. So minus 200 to me was way too high. So I thought, uh, based on the numbers, plus 140 in regulation was uh, good value. But again, I mean, right. I, I again, it was more, this this play was more, I just didn't, I, I hated the minus 200 number more so than uh, loving him uh, not to score a point. It's tough. I kind of like the matchup. I like that it's a three-game series right now. Um, you know, St. Louis, Harry, you were you were complaining. I mean, obviously, that's why they lost game 
three St. Louis. They could not, could not contend with the Bruins' power play. They kept that in check for game four. And here we are. We have a good series at game five. Um, let's turn our attention right now to that that fight. Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz. Uh, <laughs> I had Anthony Joshua by knockout on every single parlay I could imagine. I had so many, so many winning parlays went down because of that. And Brother Bry, I mean, at the point when when Joshua had knocked him down in the third round, what do you think Ruiz's live odds are? He obviously went off at 11 to 1 or 12 to 1 uh, before the fight started. But when he's down on his back and knocked down and looking fat as ever, what, what are his odds? 40, 50 to 1 to win that fight? Oh, probably, probably 100 to 1 right after that. I mean, every, I think everybody just assumed Joshua was you know, going for the kill and end it. But uh, it was. It was amazing. I mean, I was I was impressed by Ruiz, and I found myself after he recorded that first knockdown when he hit Joshua on that uh, ear with the temple. Like I just yeah. found myself really pulling. I was watching the fight with uh, Parley Kid. I was really pulling for Ruiz right after that. I mean, I really. I mean, I was the first one to make fun of Ruiz because of how fat he was. But I mean, look, he was quick. He let his hands go. I mean, he. He threw more punches than Joshua, or at least it seemed. I mean, although I know the fourth and the fifth rounds weren't crazy, but uh, I give the guy credit. I mean, now all the pressure's on Joshua. Now I think all the critics are like, well, maybe Joshua really isn't that good. Um, But uh, impressive performance by Ruiz, and I think he's a fun guy to root for. Although I don't even, in all honesty, I really don't even know if he's like a, still like a top eight heavyweight, but uh, he's fun to root for, that's for sure. It's fun to root for. He's on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Uh, he was on Tuesday night. Oh, nice. um, I look at the guy. I see a combination of Harry and Harry. <laughs> and I think that's kind of where it stops there. I mean, he calls himself a little fat kid. He eats a, a Snickers bar or candy bar before every fight. Parley kid, is this what it's all about now? Is this what boxing's come down to? Like, I'm looking at Tom Schwartz against Tyson Fury, 12 to 1 odds. Maybe we go with Schwartz. Yeah. He's a big German guy who's not yeah. got other German guys. Not much to speak of, but some of these guys just don't show up in shape, much like uh, much like Joshua. I yeah, I, I was saying that. I guess maybe you don't have to at least uh, look in shape. Maybe uh, you know that that's a little overrated. So, and we're talking about the line here. I'm almost positive. I went on because I was going to put Joshua on a parlay. And I went on and saw him at minus thirty nine hundred right before the fight. Minus thirty nine hundred. Yeah, I, I saw him like, forty six hundred, right around there. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I was like, I, why? So I said, I can't. I can't touch. I'm not. Why even put him on a parlay at this point? That's that's ridiculous. Uh, and you know, when we saw Buster Douglas uh, many many years ago beat Mike Tyson, uh, that was a very similar upset in terms of odds. But when you look at Douglas, that for that fight. He looked like a boxer, right? He was mm-hmm. he was felt. He was in shape. He he glided around the ring. He looked like a boxer. You know, Ruiz looked like Buster Douglas like twenty years after that fight, right? Yeah. Uh, his shape. Uh, he just didn't seem. I mean, you looked at even though we know boxing, Sal. Uh, you just look at those. We know anything can happen. If you look at those two fighters, even we would say. How can this? How can this one guy beat this guy? And it happened, and it happened convincingly. So this wasn't like a fluke punch. He kicked the crap out of him, and Joshua basically quit. He quit. Yeah. He never even pro. He hardly protested the ref stopping the fight. He showed no heart to me. 
Um, I think anybody associated with Joshua should really, really be embarrassed and discouraged for the future, as far as I'm concerned. I agree. And furthermore, he's minus 335 in the rematch. And I think <laughs> there's probably no way that I don't take Joshua in the rematch. Right, Bri? I mean, that's, I'm just oh, yeah. I'm just so stupid. No, I mean, it's uh, going like to be that. back. In, it's, it, yeah, I mean, it's going to be back in, in England. It's uh, minus 330 actually seems really low right now. Uh, um, I would just assume a different out- outcome. But would you say, Sal, that was like, the, would you say that was the second biggest heavyweight upset of all time? I mean, after Douglas Tyson? I mean, we had like Lennox Lewis McCall, Lewis Rockman, but yeah. um, I mean, to me, Rockman was still a very good fighter. Uh, McCall was a little bit more of a, a big upset, but I think the odds, I think McCall was only like five to one. Uh, but, right. But was that the I one mean, where he cried? Me, no, he cried but in, a, in a losing effort, right? McCall, there was a lot going <laughs> was, on yeah, in the heavyweight division one. back then. No, I, I'm with you. And by the way, I was about to come on this podcast and say before that Ruiz fight, I was going to say, because we lost, Bri, or I lost with, with Gustafson uh, in the MMA, also winning in the third round, kind of thing, controlling the action. Like I was about to say, with these combat sports, you really can't even parlay two together. You're so lucky if you survive one of them. <laughs> you should be able to survive a minus 3,900, as, uh, as uh, Parley Kid <laughs> mentions, or whatever it was for a knockout, minus 700 or something. But um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm stunned. I don't I don't necessarily think it's bad for boxing, but um, it, it just, there's more inconsistency now than ever. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, no, I, I would say, I'm. you know what, I'm, I'm really getting, the great thing about UFC is you have, the odds are usually relatively close and you have big upsets all the time. The problem with boxing I always had is like, how many times do we see recently, like minus 2,000, minus 5,000, minus 10,000 even. Yeah. And I was finally glad one of these upsets actually hit because I couldn't tell you, the last big upset in boxing in general to hit usually because there's such a mismatch. I mean, maybe one of the Charlo brothers recently when he had lost, but aside from that, I mean, I think, you know, you, we just consistently see these minus 2000, minus 3000 matchups and you, you just assume, Oh, this is an easy win. And I, I mean, I think we all assume that here. It was interesting. And I will say this, I have no data to back this up, but, if you go halfway through an MMA fight and halfway through a boxing match and you take the underdog, you're, you're more likely to hit in the MMA match, right? If you're live betting these, wouldn't you, oh. wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you be better off live betting the underdog in almost any MMA match as long as the underdog is still breathing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this was a little bit of a different case in the boxing. You usually don't see something like this. In UFC, you see it all the time. I mean, you could right. be... You could be winning. I mean, it's so hard for me to even bet UFC anymore after the Rose fight because, again, you could just be you could be dominating even for four and a half rounds, and then just you know, just I've seen it before where guys have gotten knocked out with you know two seconds left in the fight. So I mean, um, and losing the Absolutely. fight easily. So Harry, Harry, did you care at all about this? Did you did you like Ruiz? You like his thing? Hey, I'm all I'm all for the fat guy. All for the fat guy. There you go. <laughs> That's what I say. Yeah. It's 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 a, it's a great moment for all of us. Um, but that brings yeah. us plus plus fat and bald. Got to love it. Oh yeah, that's right. You just need to get the tattoos. You'll be right there. And a touch yep. of Mexican in you. You'll get right there. Uh, that brings us to our sponsored segment, Captain Morgan's Make Believe Riverboat Casino. Each week, the degenerate trifecta and I set sail tackling pretend propositions related to sports and pop culture events. Um, we're talking second place finishers. 
Jeopardy James lost. That's official, right? We're not. That's not a spoiler alert. It happened uh, about two days ago, so we're okay. It actually happened in March. I think it's probably the best kept secret in 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 the country. Wow. Like, right? This this happened in March, and there's no uh, audience member that blurted this out or anything. How do we not know about this? He came on Lock It In in May, um, and uh, he said something that suggested that he might not have still have the streak going. He really didn't know when, when he was going to go back to taping. So, but I, I, I chalked that up to him just being weird in general, but anyway, what a run he had second. You thought he was going to catch Ken Jennings and just keep going. But second to Ken Jennings, it got captain Morgan thinking, what is the greatest second place finisher or who is the greatest second place finisher of all time? Is it the Buffalo bills at five to two odds? Jeopardy James himself, seven to two Hillary Clinton, five to one. Or the movie La La Land at nine to one, or the field at three to one. But it's very sad. I feel like I've bet on all of these and lost. I don't. I don't know why. But um, Harry, start us off. Best second place finisher. Sure, Sal. I know you're pretty partial to probably La La Land, but I'm going to take the Bills at five to two. Look, uh, this run went from not just one year, not two years, but went four years. This run went four years in a row. Uh, started with losing to my Giants as an eight point favorite in '91. Uh, Sal, we were back in college at Oswego. Uh, I think we were at the bar Tiffany's, weren't we, for the 13-point loss the Bills suffered to the Redskins. Uh, mm-hmm. And you and the Parlay Kid had your moment in the sun, or moments in the sun when Buffalo went back-to-back, losing to Dallas. Uh, all those years, a bridesmaid, never a bride for Buffalo, and putting up incredible offensive numbers and having superstars on both sides of the ball. I mean, everybody, Kelly, Thomas, Reed, Lofton, Tasker, Bennett, Tally. I mean, it was a sick team, and they just never could get it done. But as a Giants fan, thank God for Josh Norwood. That's all I can say. Bills at 5-2, to two, easy winner here. Is it Josh Norwood? Did he change his name? He probably should have changed his name. Scott, didn't I? Oh, there he said Josh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Brother Brian, you'll get yeah, Harry growing up. and what? <laughs> He should have in Western Western New York. It was just everyone was a Bills fan. Uh, um, Parley Kid, you and I love the Redskins in that game as much as a Cowboys fan could love the Redskins. We had them, and we obviously liked the Cowboys uh, in the next two years after that. I did lose betting oh, yeah. the Bills against Harry's Giants. I, I still can't believe they came. They shortened the game like they had. <laughs> Brother Bry, you agree it's the Bills? Yeah, um, I will say, was Harry even a Giants fan back then, though? Because I know he liked to change. Please. Oh, he was, he was, he was a Giants and Atlanta Braves, one of those. But uh, I'll go, yeah, I'll go with the Bills too, because you, you know how tough it is as a fan when you lose a Super Bowl like this, especially one that inspired the plot for Ace Ventura. So imagine yeah. that, and then losing three more years in a row, like that's a that's as brutal as a get I guess as, as a fan. I mean, I can just imagine, you know, when the Raiders lost the Super Bowl, like how upset I was. And then I can only imagine that that happened three more years in a row. Uh, crazy feat, probably something we'll never see in football again. Um, so I, I'd have to give it to the Bills. Yeah. I mean, Brian, speaking of the Raiders, your Raiders, uh, they lost. What was the score? They, they would kill. The Bills would kill teams in the AFC championship game. Was it like 51 to 10? I know I don't have the score. 51 to right, 3. 51 to 3. Yeah. 51 yeah. to Good three. Lord. Yeah. You didn't think anyone had a chance in the Super Bowl. Parley <laughs> kid, that, that was football and it's yeah. for us. Um, you're not picking the Bills, though. No, so I'm going to take the field because I think uh, the one I'm going to take uh, is one of the, probably the biggest screw jobs of all time. And uh, it's 
summer of 1988, Sal, a great summer for us, uh, and the Olympic Games. And uh, if we could all remember Roy Jones Jr. fighting in Seoul, Korea, uh, fighting for the gold medal against a fighter named Park Si Hun. Uh, and Jones was only 19 at the time, Sal. He dazzled his way to the gold medal round, while Park, uh, some observers felt, could have lost any of his previous four fights. Had the fix been in? Well, it sure seemed like it. Uh, in the, Jones's fight against Park for the gold medal, Park received two standing eight counts, and the NBC counterpunch had the rounds in favor of, uh, in terms of the punch stats, 20-3, to 30-15, and 36-14 to 14 in favor of Jones. Mm. With five judges, three gave the decision to Park, who really seemed embarrassed by the decision. You can go back and watch this anywhere on, on YouTube. Uh, the ref whispers to Jones, and you can almost see him say it. He said, I can't believe they're going to do this to you. Uh, one wow. of the judges from Morocco who voted for Park said at the end of the, end of the fight, when, they, when the uh, press asked him, how could you have taken Park? He said, I just assumed the other four were all going to take Jones. I did not want him to get embarrassed in his home country, so I... So I, I gave him the fight. Can you believe it? Biggest screw job of all time. Uh, so the best second place finish ever. Roy Jones, because Sal, look at the career he had as well. So what? A, yeah. And he, by the way, was given the best fighter, best boxer award uh, at the Olympics anyway, because everybody knew. But we know, Sal, imagine betting that fight. If you had had that fight in a bet, that yeah. really would be the biggest screw job of all time. The, the worst officiated or judged fight of all time. With yeah, all due that. respect to Adelaide Bird, yeah, I forget about that. No, that's good that you brought that up. And Roy Joe, like you said, what a what a pro too. He was phenomenal. He was really. And although Parley Kid, I remember us betting against him. This is one of the first big matches Tony. I remember losing. Yep. James Tony, right? We watched at my father's house, <laughs> and uh, we got the pay per view. I think Tony was like minus one forty, and we were like, "What the hell's going on here?" You know, he was he was the more established boxer, and he just got beat. I don't, I don't even remember him winning a round or two, you know? He just, yeah, that was, he just got beat up. That was yeah. actually at uh, your old girlfriend Melissa's house that we watched that fight. Oh, was it? Oh, I thought we watched yeah. my father. All right. Yeah, they look they look the same. I couldn't, I can't tell. Them. Um, I will say, uh, and then Roy, Roy Jones beat a heavyweight named Ruiz, wasn't it? Was it, uh, was it Anthony Ruiz? When, when he uh, stepped John up Ruiz? in weight? I can't, can't remember what. I, I think John, he beat, John he Ruiz. Ruiz. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, John. Yeah, John Ruiz. John Ruiz. That's what it was. All right. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to go off the board too, Parley Kid. I'm going to go field. You know, you guys, this is fun, sports and everything, but there's something more serious than sports where a second place finish, like it really, it really changed a life. And I, I think you guys know where I'm going with this. It was season two, American Idol, Clay Aiken over Ruben Stuttered. Uh, I didn't have money on it, but. Uh, anyone who's going to tell me with a straight face that Clay Aiken came in second, he lost by 134,000 votes out of 24 million. He, you know, he went on to be a politician and successful and he had albums and, uh, and releases and probably better surpassed Ruben Studdard outside of that. But I would say what a screw job that was. He took it like a man. He took it Clay Aiken like the man that he is and went out to make a career out of it. But he should not have lost to Ruben Stuttered in season two. Do you agree with me, Hill, producer Jim? Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Do any of them stand out to you as a, a second-place uh, best runner-up? How did Harry not go with Daughtry? 
Yeah, really, Harry. Was Daughtry second good point. place? Good point. Well, no, Daughtry didn't come in. He didn't come in. Daughtry finished fourth. Fourth, fourth that year. Fourth. He finished fourth. What yeah. a host oh. job that was. But Sal, I will say, <laughs> Sal, I will say, in my top five American Idol singers of all time, Clay Aiken is definitely in the top five. His song, people out there listening, listen to Invisible. Great song. Invisible by Clay Aiken. Great song. It's Invincible. Did you say Invincible? I'm, I'm having trouble hearing it. Invisible. <laughs> It's invisible? invisible. I thought it's in. Uh, this is uh, an argument I don't want to win because I would know it would prove that I know <laughs> too much. But I think was, uh, isn't it invincible? Invisible. Invisible. All right. I don't want. I, I have oh. it in my head. I'm not going to sing it. But all right. Maybe it's can invisible. I, can, I, got, I can. I can key it up right now. I can start that too if you want. No. All right. No. It, don't it, do that. Uh, Harry's do right. That. Harry's right. It's invisible. Okay. Look it up. Okay. But the the point is Daughtry number four in terms of American Idol number one in in Harry's heart. Um, that's another week of Captain Morgan's Make Believe Riverboat Casino. No matter how you live like a captain, Captain Morgan reminds you to please drink responsibly. Captain's orders. Jim Cunningham, but pick, pick one out of these three, four, five, whatever it is. Hmm, I was leaning towards the Bills, I guess. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from everybody else. I think they're they're all losers to me, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> perfect answer. All right. Speaking of everyone being losers, we, we narrowly avoided that last week when Harry uh, dug out with um, Tiger Woods to finish in the top 10. We have a lot going on. There's Women's World Cup. We have French Open, NCAA Baseball. There's an MMA card, NBA, obviously NHL, the Belmont. Um, start us off, Brother Bry. What do you like for your best bet? Ooh, all right. Yeah. So I was going to go uh, with the UFC bet. Um but uh, you can't spell UFC without Fox, so I'm staying away from that. Um, so I'll go. I'm get, I was gonna. I was looking at Women's World Cup too, but I think I'll start. I'll really prep myself over the next week or two for that. Um, hoping to hit hit on that. But I'm gonna go Nadal minus two and a half sets versus uh, Federer in the French Open semifinal. Nadal's playing fantastic as usual on clay. He destroyed Nishikori in the quarters. He's only dropped one set so far, and he's actually only dropped one set of his last 24 sets on clay. Uh, he's 13-2 against Roger on clay. He's never lost him at Roland Garros. I know they haven't played in forever, so I think, to me, that just favors Rafa big time here. He's won eight of the last nine sets on clay versus Roger, and again, that was a long time ago, but, I mean, Roger's barely, I mean, before this year, Harry, what, what did you tell me? When was the last time he even played it's here been, before this it's year? It's been four years since he's played on clay at Roland Garros, too. So. Yeah, and exactly. last time they played, last time they played there, uh, he beat him in 2011. Nadal beat him in four sets in the final. Yeah, wow. so I, think this is. Is, I think this is a, a clean sweep, wins in three sets. Uh, some of these maybe even wins like, you know, six, six, two, six, you know, six, three, six, four, six, two, something like that. So, um, I definitely, I would not, in these big matches on clay, I just would not bet against Nadal, and I feel like this is the only way you can really bet it because you get it close to even. So um, I'd take Nadal minus two and a half. All right. Well, I, but you and I couldn't believe it. We saw it listed. The, just the regular line is minus 800 for Nadal. I know it dominates on clay. He's been great, but Roger Federer is Roger Federer. Uh, went against Warinka. I had him in a parlay today. Warinka had beaten him two out of three, last three on clay. I think he's playing pretty well, but Federer, I like that. I like Nadal. I don't know about two and a half. All right, let's, let's think about that. Parlay kid, what's your pick? Sal, uh, this is not uh, going to probably be a popular pick with you, 
uh, because it's going to deal with the horse racing at the Belmont, Sal. And this is yeah. the 15-year anniversary, Sal, of the Parlay Kid having Birdstone at 36-1 to 1, uh, going against Smarty Jones. And you guys remember Smarty Jones. He was an overwhelming favorite going for the Triple Crown. And down the stretch they came, and Brian and I had a front row seat right there down the stretch. Uh, and Birdstone edges out Smarty Jones, and I win a lot of money. I was probably the only person, and this is true, I was probably the only person. At, probably how many people were there, 100,000? Oh, yeah. I might have been the only person at that time that had Birdstone. So here I am celebrating, and everybody else was ripping up their, their losing tickets because people just, they wanted to have a winning ticket, right? So people were buying tickets for like a, you know, a dollar to win like two cents, right? Just to right. say they had a winning ticket for the Triple Crown. So I'm coming back with, a, with an underdog here for the Belmont, and hopefully it's nicer. Bro, it was like 50 degrees that day. I was drinking hot chocolate at the Belmont in June. I'm not kidding. It was cold. Uh, so, so I'm going to go with a horse named Everfast. He was a late entry to the Preakness, and he was trailed early on, in fact, for most of the race. But Sal, again, down the stretch, here he comes, and he ends up coming in second in the Preakness. This horse is a finisher. The Belmont is a longer race. This horse will excel as the race goes on, the longer the race goes on. And guess who the jockey is, Sal? Luis Saez. What horse was he on? And the Kentucky Derby, maximum security. This would be justice if this guy could win the Belmont because he got hosed in that. Uh, I feel like he did. I'm really rooting for this guy. He's in the second post position, which at the Belmont, the horses that tend to be inside, like in a lot of races, one, two, and three, uh, their, their odds of winning increase. And Everfast is sixteen to one. It's one of the uh, larger long shots here. Was uh, was six to one a few days ago. All of a sudden, sixteen to one. Let's jump on Everfast with the jockey Luis Saez. Sal, let's let's do it. All right, I gotta say, Everfast, I'd, I'd feel a lot more comfortable if it was uh, Andy Ruiz Jr. riding that horse. But I mean, he's got a lot of pop, <laughs> a lot of buzz right now. I think I think he could actually get across the finish line first. Um, Harry, you were right. I looked that up. It is invincible. It's not invincible. I, I take it back. I always thought that was invincible by Clay Aiken. Um, I don't know. Maybe 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 he's not the man I thought he was. Um, what's your bet? You have a golf bet, right? Yeah, I have a golf bet, but just uh, before you, uh, before I get to that, Sal, uh, consider uh, one bit in Brian's bet. I know he's got Nadal minus two and a half, and they haven't played on clay, like I said, since 2011. But the last five times they have played each other, Nadal and Roger. Roger is 5-0 and oh against Nadal the last five times they met. None mm. of those, obviously. All right, get your own bet, Harry. We're, we're done with this. I have to. What do you uh, anyways, yeah, I'm going gonna, gonna to stick to my golf. I'm going to go to the RBC Canadian Open. And I am going to take Dustin Johnson to finish in the top five at plus 115. Uh, he's plenty rested off his second-place finish at the PGA Championship and where he was the only golfer to shoot in the 60s all four days. He's taken the last two weeks off, so this is a nice warm-up for him before the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. He loves playing north of the border. Uh, on a different course than they play now in 2013, he finished second. But on the course they do use now, he has been lights out the last three years. In 2016, he finished second. In 17, he was eighth. 
And last year, he won this tourney shooting a spectacular 23 under. DJ to finish in the top five, plus 115, is my best bet of the week. Mm. All right. I want, I'm going to look for it. I don't know if I can find it, but I'm going to bet DJ to finish exactly fifth tied with 11 golfers. I think I can get probably like uh, 60 or 70 to one. Cause that Harry, that's your MO. I mean, you, you won, you won out know, with Tiger, right, there, but you're right around there every, every single time. Yep. Right. Yeah. It's real close. Always. It's very close with these Harry golf bets. Uh, what do you, G- Jim Cunningham, which would you pick out of that? And the Nadal Federer matchup ever fast or DJ in the top five? Hmm. I guess DJ in the top five, Harry. <laughs> I know. I'm as, just as excited about it. Um, I'll tell you what, Parley kid. Happy 15 year anniversary. I'm going with Everfast. Why not? 16 to one, 14 oh, to one, somewhere around that. 16 to one. That. I saw last. I saw. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's win that race. You are at the Chalk Talker, right? I'm at the Chalk Talker, Sal. Um. Big soft bombs. I'm sorry to see this ending, Sal. I think people are starting to catch on to the softball buzz, Sal. Uh, obviously, Brian <laughs> has been right with me with it. And uh, you're starting to really get into it, Sal. So uh, it's really one of the best things going out there. Good luck to uh, the Bruins tonight. Uh, little side note, Sal, the parlay kid. I We talked about this a few months ago. I did win the biggest loser competition in my oh, nice. uh, my school. Um, right. And uh, as Brian predicted, I'd get into the mid 180s. I lost about 30 pounds in two months, Sal. So we did it. Well, you know, you know what to do job. now. Just gain it all back and then some. Go the Harry yeah. method. Harry, can you help him get back <laughs> to 215? Oh, uh, yeah. Just, just, uh, just every time you buy, drive by Wendy's, Parlay Kid, pop in. <laughs> there you go. Right. Yeah. Uh, all right, Brother Bry, what do you got going? You're at the Brother Bry, right? Yeah, at D Brother Bry. Um, hoping I can end this softball season tonight. I don't want it to go to game three. Um, also, uh, it, Harry keeps asking me about betting college baseball. To me, that's so hard because there's so many. Like, softball to me is so much easier because there's only, you know, you pretty much have one pitcher. You kind of know, you see them all the time. In college baseball, it's, you know, you get a million relievers. Some games are 2 nothing. Some games are 40-3, to three, like, there's so many variables. So to me, it's so hard to bet college baseball. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm missing something here, but I, I'm yeah. sure I'll have nothing to bet this weekend. So I'll be betting that. I'm sure, even if I don't want. To. <laughs> there you go. I had UCLA uh, baseball yesterday. They 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 bet nice, six yeah, three. Nice. Our producer Royce seems yeah. to like all the overs and uh, lock it in. Our producer Royce likes all the overs in the baseball games. He says that uh, they are not keen on those. And he said three out of four of the games went over. Or three out of the four he picked went over yesterday. All right, Harry, where are you? At AAO yeah. Harry, right? Yep, yep. And uh, on the Preakness, when we did our, our review, I had the winner, War of Will. Uh, I think that's going to – I'm rooting for Parlay Kid, but I'm also liking War Will again to win the Belmont. I know it's a long race, but I think you can get it done. Uh, don't have a lot going on this weekend either. Just uh, going to sit around, probably uh, maybe rely on, uh, like I said, the Super Regionals and College Baseball this weekend. So uh, we'll see what's happening after that. There you go. And Jim Cunningham, uh, you have a weird thing with the eye and the gym and everything on Twitter, right? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, at Jim Cunningham, but the eyes are ones. It's the best thing on the internet. 
There you go. And you're uh, secretly rooting for uh, Clay, uh, for Clay, for for Tate's back to give out altogether so you could get this gig full-time, right? Yeah, I have my voodoo doll. Yeah, my uh, Tate voodoo doll. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to say goodbye to the degenerate trifecta and say hello to Meta World Peace. Let's get him on the line right now. All right, we're back against all odds with Cousin Sal. Game three, NBA Finals tonight at Oracle. Tied up, one apiece. Our next guest, one of my favorites. I have a lot of history with him. NBA All-Star. Helped lead the Lakers to the NBA title in 2010. One of the greatest, if not the greatest, defensive players of all time. His documentary, Quiet Storm, the Ron Artest story, is airing on Showtime right now, and it's dynamite. And he's the perfect guest for Against All Odds because he's defied all of them. Meta World Peace, thanks for coming on, buddy. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. I'm really uh, excited. Really excited to be on your show. I've been working with you guys for a long time. You have. I mentioned the history. You've been a prank target of mine on Jimmy Kimmel Live on uh, three occasions, I think. I was watching them on YouTube. Do you remember we once did a PSA for animals, of which some of some of which right. you're deathly afraid of. Do you remember this? This was a few years back. I remember the animal one. I was really afraid. I didn't know what was happening. You know, when I got there, I knew something was up, but you can't really prepare for crazy. <laughs> well, actually, I'm not going to say crazy, just different looking species. <laughs> yeah. You had some dumb reads you had to do for this PSA. We had you read these things, and it escalated. It was. It was a dog and then a, a possum, I think, and then a vulture and a snake. And you're much like uh, Indiana Jones. You're afraid of snakes, right? I mean, you know, I think everyone is afraid of snakes except snakes. snakes. You know, snakes, they like snakes. But, right. You know, yeah, that uh, makes, that I think even sense. rats. Rats is afraid of snakes. Even like big elephants. Big elephants running and hopping all over the place to see a snake. Yeah, I never understood that. An elephant would run for a scatter from a mouse and everything. But yeah, and then uh, and then I came in dressed as a giant bear and, and blew the whole thing. And then we did it, uh, I think the next year, we did something where Amari Stoudemire helped out with this. I was a limo driver. You were going to what you thought was a charity event, and I basically kidnapped you, right? I kept you in. I played that was, terrible that was music. Probably your, that was your best one. That was probably your best print. <laughs> that one, I, I, I had no clue. <laughs> I was not ready for that. I was super upset. I was thinking of ways to uh, get in the front seat, move the car. Oh, my goodness. It was, uh, Amari did great, by the way. Amari so he, fun. He was terrific. I was lucky. I was in a beard. Um, I was in prosthetics, and uh, so as to not, not that you would recognize me anyway, but I was lucky that day that I wasn't dealing with Ron Artest because Ron Artest, would have shoved me in the glove compartment. I probably still would have been there, but that was a lot of fun. I think <laughs> <laughs> that was that was that was that was fun, man. I, I really, you know what? And, and I panicked so much, I was ready to jump out the car and say, uh, "Heidi, I'm, I'll, I'll come save you later." <laughs> <laughs> you you know you could still get Amari back. It's not too late. We could work something out. Yeah, let's work it out. I hope Amari's not listening. Got to get him back. Did you Maybe, ever you know, prank I your teammates? Amari, or was, um, it was, you know, just a, a lot of your locker room antics considered a prank anyway. Yeah, my, 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 my antics was a prank. The, the brawl, that was a prank. That actually didn't happen. <laughs> that, really? That wasn't supposed to, that yeah, was supposed to happen? That was, that was all spelled out? <laughs> yeah, it, it was all set up. You know, even though we had 1,000 fans, they won a contest. You know, told them to participate <laughs> and throw beer on me and, um, and, and punch me in the face. Oh, that was 
how great would that be? I want to get into that a little later because this documentary is terrific, like I said. But um, I, I also most recently worked with Ron yesterday. I officiated a dunk tank contest for Jimmy Kimmel Live. We won't give away the ending. I'll, I'll, I'll say is it was controversial, and the ref always gets blamed. But J- JKL, game night Wednesday before or after the game, depending on which coast you live on. Uh, I do want to talk about Quiet Storm. First of all, though, let's, let's quickly discuss the NBA Finals. Golden State, Toronto, uh, the series is tied at one. Are you enjoying the series? It seems like both teams are limping to the finish line. It's, it's a shame that all these injuries, isn't it? Basketball in the NBA in the Finals is all about luck. If you know, if you notice when we won, Kendrick Perkins tore his ACL. When the, mm-hmm. when the Boston Celtics beat the Lakers in 2008, Andrew Bynum was out. Um, the year uh, when the Bulls beat the uh, Lakers in 91, uh, Byron Scott had a messed up hamstring. Um, mm-hmm. when, when the Eastern Rockets won it two years in a row, Michael Jordan was out. And then the year when uh, Kawhi Leonard hurt his ankle two years ago with Pachula, then they was going to win that series too. They was up. So it was right. all about it. Luck. You gotta have a little bit of luck, and you gotta have. I mean, and unfortunately, that luck could be someone's injury. It's really hard to be perfect, you know, in the playoffs. Right. Yeah. And I, I was I was discussing earlier. Yeah. Like you look at this All Star team that Golden State's put together, and it's Durant, and it's Curry, and it's uh, Boogie Cousins, and it's Draymond Green, and you think. And now we're talking about well, Kevon Kevon Looney, he's out. That that could it's like who would have thought that we would have this would be an integral. Meanwhile, like his plus minus is is top three, and then you got on the other side, you know, Clay Thompson might not play, but on the other side, Kawhi Leonard's fighting through uh, knee and leg issues. How do you handicap the next, you know, potentially five games? Who who do you think uh, stands out here? You know, I think um, I, I like Toronto, I like Toronto in the beginning. Hmm. Uh, I picked Toronto, and then. Um, when, you know, I, I, I still had Toronto, but then when they lost the last game, I'm like, okay, it could be tricky. But now that you got so many guys hurt, um, you know, Toronto's back in favor. But at the same time, you add a guy like Boogie Cousins. I mean, he, he, he's ranked higher than Clay. He's ranked higher than Draymond. Um, not ranked higher than, uh, you know, uh, Kevin Durant. But, I mean, who knows? what type of explosion this guy is going to have. Yeah, and he was playing game two with four fouls. Uh, he ended up with four fouls, but four fouls pretty early in the game, but he still figured into the uh, ending for sure. He made a difference. Um, well, yeah, easy, I just wonder what, what do you think these next with, two? Is, I'm sorry. You saw what what's his next two, what? No, the next two games are an oracle. Could you see it being split and then going back to Toronto 2-2, or do you think Golden State takes advantage of a uh, home court here? I have no choice but to go back to Toronto too, too. Like, so you know, as a basketball fan and people talking about sports on radio and podcasts, we always say, okay, this team won. This is what the other team has to do to get better. Then the other team goes up two one, and then we say, okay, this is what this team got to do to get better. Right? We go back and forth as fans, especially as commentators. So, if I'm speaking for Toronto, it, it must go back two two, right? It must go back two two. There's no other option. No, right, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I think uh, what. All right. So. All right. So two, two. And now in terms of a gambler, I got to figure this out here. So maybe I take Toronto in the points okay. and then and then, you know, if they don't do, I double up on the points. Maybe the way to do it is MVP. Who do you think the Steph Curry? I think I like 23 points. Didn't have any points in the fourth quarter in game two. He is the favorite to win MVP. It's pretty low odds, though. I think he only gets stronger throughout the series. He must right for Golden State to win. 
Stephen Curry is one of those unique individuals that has real superhuman powers. There's not a lot of basketball players that we can say have superhuman powers. Kobe um, when Detroit beat the Lakers, Detroit didn't really have anybody with superhero powers, you know, but uh, Stephen Curry has superhero powers. He's not human. There's no way that guy's human. Um, he, he probably is cheating a little bit. He, and, I, and, and I would like to, you know, take him down to Area 51 and do some research on him, on his brain. <laughs> you know, o- o- open his brain up a little bit and prove that he's an alien. Um, he's really not real. Maybe yeah. maybe we should get him on. Uh, what's that guy? Jeff Jeff Rogan. Jeff Rogan. What's the, what's the podcast guy name? Yes, um, uh, yeah, uh, Joe, Joe Rogan. Yep. Rogan guy. Yeah, Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Joe, Joe Rogan. We need to figure out. We need we need me, you, and Sal. Let's go. Let's go to the show and prove that uh, Seth Curry's an alien. I think so. You know what? Maybe we we uh we find out when he's in the middle of the night. We take that mouth guard out of his mouth and uh have it analyzed. Yeah, something like that. There. Yeah, analyze yeah. it. He's not real. He's not. He is phenomenal. He is probably the best shooter yes, we've seen is. in the last 10 or 15 years for sure. Um, and I think yeah, he does yeah. have to step it up. Yeah. I, I, it's weird when you see like a Freddie Van Vliet stay with him for like a quarter. It's like, I, I don't even know what I'm watching. I don't, I don't think my TV's working, but that's why I think Steph uh, breaks out in the next couple of games. Let's talk about this documentary. And like I, I going into last night, I knew I was going to have you on. And I was like, ah, you know what? I can watch it. It's like two hours. Um, or I could just, you know, I could f- go online and look at what it's about and everything. I was like, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'm going to watch it. And you know what? I'm glad I did. And but now that I did, you're going to suffer a little because I have a million questions. I'll try not to. I'll try not to ask too many. But it was dynamite. And if if the goal was to for people to look at Meta World Peace in a different light, you hit it. A plus across the board. You're happy the way with the way it came out. I'm I'm very happy with the documentary. Um, uh, Johnny Sweet and Colleen from CAA and uh, Omar Machado from uh, Bleach Report. So these people was going to do a uh, documentary on my game, showing how good I was. Then as I started talking, because every time I talk about basketball, I kind of get philosophical and always spiritual and different things like that. So they took the interview, changed the whole entire doc to something they thought would inspire people. Uh, something that I think could potentially win an Oscar, I think, has the opportunity, has a chance. And so I, I didn't even get a chance to finish the documentary that we started out doing, which is about basketball. So this, right. this doc is amazing, it's inspiring. You know, it's really inspiring not only to kids from my community, but this is inspiring for people. When you could come back from crazy, when you can come back from, you know, uh, what is nervous breakdowns, um, depression, mm-hmm. you know, and then come out on the opposite side, and not only not by yourself, but with a team, you know, therapists, counselors, social workers. You know, I use all my resources from all the great people in this in this world. And you know what? It was a good thing, a positive thing. It was excellent. It's Quiet Storm, the Ron Artest story. It's on Showtime right now. It's nine. It's uh, I'll tell you. I uh, well, all right. Let's start with now. Uh, you you talk about cooking and selling crack in Queens. It was Queens Bridge. That's a tough neighborhood. I lived in East Northport on Long Island, about thirty miles uh, east of you. That that was that was a tougher neighborhood. But look, we could talk about Queensbridge for a second. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Queensbridge yeah, yeah. is much tougher. it how you're proud of Queens, and even um, how you were disrespected by rap songs. The the bridge is over. Was that was, that was the name of it, right? And uh, and what yeah, did they say? Like, Queens keeps on faking it. That that got to you and your friends. You you couldn't take that. <laughs> I mean, you know what? 
It was a it was a brilliant song by um, by KRS One, and although I wasn't like a rapper, I was young at that time. I mean, you heard all the artists in the neighborhood start to take that little personal, and everybody started to rap more and um, really tried to say, "Okay, KRS One, you said you know Queens is faking it, and that's not true." But it was a really great battle between KRS One and MC Shan and all that stuff. It was, it was really cool. By the way, this is about 96, 97, maybe a little earlier, about a decade earlier. My favorite team of all time, the Mets, the 86 Mets. I think they would have they would have proven beyond the reasonable uh, shadow of a doubt that Queens was not faking it. You had, uh, you had some tough guys there. You had Ray Knight was a gold glove winner, a uh, boxer, um, golden glove winner. You had uh, oh Kevin Mitchell decapitated a cat. Like this is this is a badass team. I, I don't I don't think Queens um should suffer in any regard, but and, and especially you you stepping out from Queens. Well, you know, we, our, we love our Mets and we love our Jets. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who we love out of the Knicks and the Nets. I don't know who we love out of the Knicks and the Nets. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, we love, yeah, all our, we love all our New York teams, man. We love all our New York teams. Everybody's, like, representing. And, I mean, but, you know, we just got to win. The fans in New York is too much. They, 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 just, they put so much pressure you know, imagine coming home and every time you come home, like your mom is just like, "What are you doing? Oh, you suck! You can't right. even clean the dishes." <laughs> you know, it's like you know, give give them a break. Give our players, give our players a break, and let them try to win. You know, there there is something to that. I mean, there's a lot to it. Obviously, if a Kevin Durant came to you and said, "Look, I'm thinking of signing with the Knicks," what 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 would you say? Would you warn him against that? Would you say, "Hey, you're going to be in headlines every single day"? Anytime you lose with this team, or would you say, "Hey, you're the kind of guy that could overcome this"? You know, uh, step it up. You know, really put the Knicks on the map. Anybody that signs with the Knicks, I'm proud of because it's hard to play in New York City. A lot of people shy away and they run away from it. That's why Carmelo deserves a lot more credit than what he gets because he was the only star in New York City. He had no help. And you look at, I mean, sorry, I'm not going to say no help. He had no other stars on his level, right? right? Um, he did have J.R. Smith and Kenyon Martin. Those guys played great. But he didn't have any more all-stars. And he don't get enough credit for being by himself. No other all-stars. Right. So, okay. So you, I mean, you have your finger on the pulse with this. So, you know, like as far as talent makeup, as far as uh, the, the mental awareness and how much uh, capacity they have to take on the media and everything. You think Kevin Durant and Kyrie could be a good fit for New York? Or do you think Jimmy Butler would be better? Or is, is there anyone, who am, I, who am I missing out of the I big uh, free agents? In the, last, in the last couple of years, New York, they cannot sign three all-stars. Right. You know, and part of the reason is because the fans need to light up. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that, that's one of the main reasons. And then uh, the front office cannot get influenced by the fans. Who cares if the fans don't want to buy a ticket because they're mad? Ah, so what? Don't come. Don't watch it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they have to treat it as a, like a process and they have to give the players a chance to grow. And they have to show support with the players. <laughs> in New York City, is rough. And they can influence yeah. you. They can make you panic. You know, um, that's why I love play. That's why I played in New York City. Because anytime the fans would say things like, to me, at St. John's, 
I would tell them to bleep, 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 bleep. You you know, you bring up a good point. The fans blame the ownership and certainly there's enough to go around there for the owners, but the owners could very well, just as well blame the fans for uh, players, free agents, max super max contract guys, not coming to New York, but you were able to do it. Like you said, you went to St. John's coach Jarvis uh, figures in prominently in this documentary. He's great. He talks about how, you know, how he dealt with you. He would pray a lot. Um, sometimes the praying didn't work, yeah, and then, you know, resulted in a typewriter being thrown through the wall in Louis Carnesecca's office yeah, by his secretary, coach, right? Yeah, Coach Jarvis, he uh, was thrown. I mean, the, the documentary is called The Quiet Storm, but Jarvis mm. was actually in the hurricane. Um, mm. And uh, I, I feel bad for, 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 for Jarvis having to deal with like myself, but um, you know what? People like Jarvis is why people like myself do well because somebody's willing to take the job, somebody's willing to the and not give up on the kid. And people like Jarvis deserves uh, maybe the Nobel Peace Prize because when you're dealing with Ron Artel, you deserve the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> well, you know what? You were pretty good. You know what? You had a good attitude about it. You said something interesting to. When you were entering the NBA, you weren't even sure if you could do it. You said, you know, in, in order to over the so, overcome the size of like a Mason or a, an Anthony Mason or a Charles Oakley or a Carl Malone, you had to build up hate for whoever is on the other side. And I, I, I respect that. And I think, what do you think of those words now? I think it is healthy if it comes from the right place. Are you are people able to do that and keep it in check? You think? I would advise them. I would advise. That hate that you build up, you got to understand, it's really passion. And when you can take that passion and funnel it towards a goal, you're going to be way more successful than building up hate to get motivation. Because you're not going to be balanced. You want the goal to be balanced. You want it to be targeted. And if you're thinking about how much you hate someone, you're not thinking about the, the task, meaning... Somebody's cutting you off, putting it to your legs. You know, they're out hustling. What are you going to do? Like, well, what's the strategy now? You know, they're, they're double-teaming you. What's going to happen? You know, um, the, 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 they're contesting your shot. Um, hands are in your face. Can you still focus and see through the fingers and make the shot? Like, the most important thing, what I learned, is that pinpoint Tim Duncan-type focus. That's, that's, that's more impressive and more effective. So, okay, so you could build up hate, but you have to channel it in the right direction. I mean, it must drive you crazy in today's day in the game where guys are exchanging jerseys after the game. Like, that That wasn't Meta World Peace, right? You wouldn't do that, right? You have to – the, the hate I, for I the other side has to extend at least through the three hours, right? Yeah, I didn't, like, I didn't understand the jerseys. I, I exchanged uh, other things <laughs> on the court. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was <laughs> – I exchanged, uh, you know, blows. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a different kind of exchange. But, you know, I, think it, I, I really appreciate somebody like myself. When I see like LeBron and Wade and exchanging jerseys or hugging each other, like I appreciate it because when I rewind, I wish I would have done that every game. After every game, you mm-hmm. know, I, 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 I really love to see. Um, people, you know, acknowledging 
or especially during the regular during the playoffs, that's a little bit different. Like during the playoffs, you know, uh see you later. But the regular season, you know, more than half of your games you should be um, you know, going down saying hi to a player right. you don't know. Because everybody those twenty four players are in the same family, you know, and I really believe in that. Well, that's nice. Yeah, I, I I don't even know how you would do it as a professional athlete, turning it on and off uh, like you do. But um, I want to talk about the incident in Detroit where you uh, beat up the entire Pistons crowd. And uh, you, uh, earlier in this podcast, you mentioned that it that wasn't might have the been entire. Prank. It was only. It wasn't the entire. It was ninety-seven percent. <laughs> it was ninety-seven percent. I know you had most of the mezzanine and the and the uh, yeah the the floor seats, but um, you guys covered this in a great way. It wasn't. It was ninety percent of 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 uh, men. Yeah, you channeled your energies in the right direction. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. It, it's uh, take me through this. It's and you guys go over it in a great way in the documentary. But Ben Wallace. So first of all, the fact that everybody was still in the game. I think you were up a dozen or fourteen points with twenty seconds left. Seemed like everybody was in the game. You didn't want Ben Wallace to get the. The easy layup, so you come in with a hardish foul, right? And then he then he retaliates. Ben Wallace had a wedgie. He was mad at me, and because he had a wedgie, that's what that's what really happened. Um, but no, that's not. It could have happened. <laughs> but um, I, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I wanted to make sure that I fouled Ben Wallace and I give him a layup because it is what it is. But you know, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't expect. The bro, right. I didn't plan it. It was a hell of a movie, and much better than Game of Thrones, by the way. Especially um, the last episode of Game of Thrones does not match up against the bro. Doesn't match up, right? We know this. Okay, you know, yeah, so mu- much, much better, much, much better than the ending of Game of Thrones. Much so then, I think you had the right idea to lay on the scorers' table, you know, and um, and while all this craziness subsided, right? Absolutely, man. I laid on the scorers' table because. You know, I I really, I mean, when I was going back, Ben pushed me. Um, you know, I was ready for that confrontation. Um, I kind of expected. I mean, I, I kind of expected him to maybe get in my face. I didn't really expect the push. When he pushed me, the referees and the players they didn't want to see a fight. So then you see everyone gets involved, and I kind of just like I didn't try to go back at him. I just kept going back. He's pretty strong. And then I got, and everybody kind of said, no fighting, no fighting. You know, like even the referee, they'd never seen a fight before. No fighting, oh no. The world came to an end. You know, and me and, right. me and Ben Wallace, we, I mean, we, we, we don't mind a little bit of scrapping. You know, so I think like what they should have done, this is how it should have happened. They should have said, okay, Ben Wallace and Meta, they want to fight. Everybody clear the court. We get our gloves. The lights come on us like at Madison Square Garden with Deontay Wallace yes. and Anthony Joshua style. You know, we put our trunks on. A shirt off, red gloves on, boom, box it out. That's, I mean, that would have been way better, you know, than than that whole brawl incident. It was nothing I can do. At this Absolutely. point in time, I like to laugh about it. You know, I like to laugh about it because um, I, I I was upset about it for years, and now I'm able to laugh about it. The brawl is uh, not as funny as right here. The brawl is way more informal. I mean, informative. But uh, uh, you know, the scoring table was right there. I chilled out, got hit with the puck. You know, I, I ran into the stands. Um, Somebody was on my back. I was like the Incredible Hulk. I go into the stands. Um, the gentleman that, that bet, John Green, that he could hit me, um, he laughed when I got hit as I was running to the stands. 
he was laughing, and then he realized I was coming towards him. He stopped laughing. Um, he was like, and then as I wanted to shake him really hard, he was like, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, you know. Um, John did it. <laughs> and then it, was, it, was, it was so much, you know, <laughs> you know um, but it, I think everybody was, a lot of people was wrong that night. Um, the, the, the person who I hit, um, uh, you know, he made the bet. And then John, who grabbed me, I thought John was grabbing me in the stands to say, uh, you know, come on, man, just chill out. So he grabbed me, I'm like, okay, I'm going to chill out, somebody's grabbing me. Then he punched me in the face. So then I turned around, um, I slipped, um, I watched Mayweather, right? So I slipped, you know, <laughs> um, I turned like cross, and then I get hit with another beverage from someone else. So then I run back in that direction after I get hit. It was just, it was, um, it was definitely, uh, luckily nobody got hurt in the stand. I was really happy that nobody got hurt, you know, in the stand, except one person from the Pacers, which is unfortunate he hurt his back. I felt really bad about that. Um, that whole incident was unfortunate and I'm so happy that we were able to talk about it, uh, move on, um, you know, and, and watch, um, Godzilla, Godzilla's, um, pretty good. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it was an unfortunate incident for sure, but it also could have been the greatest Coke commercial of all time. I mean, you got hit with so many Cokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah John yeah. Green throws the Coke. I forget about Mean Joe Green. John amazing. Green is the greatest actor in a Coke commercial ever. If that, if that's the case, right? There, there was so much was, being thrown around. It, it really could have been. It really was. It was like you know they they, they can reverse it a little bit. Maybe you know add some um, different writing. You know, to it, but yeah, what, what an amazing beverage commercial. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, and the other thing I noticed is there was a lot of, for, for 20 seconds left in the game, there was a lot of Coke and popcorn remaining. What what are people waiting for? Are they going to eat this stuff in their car? Like, why was there so much popcorn and Coke left in everybody's uh, aisle there as, you, as you're being ushered out? Who was it? Um, was it uh, Chuck Persons grabbing yeah. you, taking you through the tunnel? Well, you know, Chuck Person actually was uh, drinking some a lot of the Coke. If you see him, was he? you ever throw popcorn in somebody's mouth? Yeah, you ever throw popcorn and they put their mouth open and throw popcorn in somebody's mouth? Chuck Person had his mouth open and waited for popcorn. <laughs> now, you know, um, now, but Chuck Person is like a father figure to me. He got in some trouble with the NCAA, but it has nothing to do with me. Um, he's a, a father figure to me. You know, big, big brother. Really love Chuck. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people loved you. You know, you lost a sneaker deal uh, out of it. LA gear backed up. But I, honestly, if I'm them, I'm like, this is great. Uh, uh, this only shows that our sneaker, our product can get you off your back and 10 rows up into the stands in like five seconds. I mean, what other, as far as performance goes, you, you really did a good job. They for missed that, the point. Yeah. It was, it, it, they, they missed the point. I jumped, I jumped with one week. Uh, I jumped over three flights of, uh, of chairs yeah, so, and they missed the point. They right. missed the Absolutely. point. So you know, <laughs> yeah. And so the the ending for this uh, the documentary it, it really couldn't be more gratifying. The two thousand nine the two thousand ten championship Lakers. You hit a gigantic three to go up four in the final minute. Uh, you thank your psychologist. You beat your arch rival Paul Pierce on the court. That shot and was uh, probably most importantly, that, that the biggest. Shot was uh, bigger. Yeah, you yeah said, no, I, I was going to say Kobe passed the ball, which is uh, the most fascinating yeah. thing in the whole documentary. I mean, that was amazing, amazing moment. The shot was big. The shot was bigger than a fake silicone butt. You know, it was really, <laughs> it was really a big, big shot. 
Well, I loved it. I loved the whole thing. And you auctioned it, and it's really for uh, mental health awareness, right? I mean, you auctioned your championship ring. You did, did that a few years ago. You continue to do more and more about, you know, it really is important for people to understand, like they rooted for you or against you um, based on how your mental illness manifested itself, with, like without knowing the problem. They said, oh, he's crazy, or he's a sore loser, or we loved him. And they chalked it up to immaturity, but really there were like real issues in there and players go through this all the time, right? There were definitely some real issues that you really, if you're, if you're a um, profession, professional, you know, owner of a company, CEO, founder, there's not your place to work with what somebody's going through, but there was something there personally. And as a, as a human, you know, we take care of other humans, we take care of our plan, we take care of our animals, and now... People are uh, more sensitive to these issues, and you can see the community of mental health supporters is is is, is, is well and alive, including myself. So when we see people go through things, you know, rather than judge them, we try to we try to help them. You know, we try to help them, try to give them support. You know, and that's what we do. Well, you're doing great work. Uh, documentary is called Quiet Storm: The Ron Artest Story. It is on Showtime right now. It's really good. Uh, also, last week, Lamar Odom was on this podcast, kind of made news. He actually said, I, I asked him, I actually asked him, if you could date a celebrity, would you choose to, or do, would you want to go a different road now? And he said not only would he date a celebrity, it would be Khloe Kardashian, your former AAU teammate, your former Laker teammate. Would you like to make the same or a similar claim about an athlete you'd like to, uh, I'm sorry, a celebrity you'd like to date? Well, I personally, um, I mean, every you see a lot of celebrity relationships. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I always ran away from that. Um, never, ever once in my life did another celebrity. Because, but some people can do it. You look at Jay-Z and Beyonce. You look at um, right. Ren and Stimpy, you know. So <laughs> many people, you know. <laughs> maybe, true, maybe not Ren and Stimpy, Just try you know, breaking Ren and Stimpy. Point, you get the point. It won't happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's good. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe the celebrity route probably wouldn't be good. But uh, what do you want to plug this Pandas Friend clothing line? You have a lot going on, right? Yeah, definitely go to the pandasfriend dot com. That's the pandas with an S. The pandasfriend dot com. We sell merchandise. We use that. Uh, we use the revenue to support our basketball teams. You know, I put a little bit in my pocket. I am a founder of the company. Not going to sit here and lie to you. But um, yeah. <clears throat> the majority of the the funds goes to lots of great causes. Um, especially, uh, we're really focused on basketball because um, we feel since it's a sport that I play, we're able to identify which kids like to play and which kids need resources. So not only do we teach them basketball, but we also give them opportunities to uh, maybe become a pipeline to an NBA team or a college team or even a digital marketing or, or, or maybe someone's trying to get into a college and different things like that. We are constantly working with our players. The same way they would be worked with in college, but except it's with the pandas friend. That's what yeah. we do. That's who we are. And that was a hell of a commercial. I just did. No, that's excellent. No, you deserve it. The website's thepandasfriend.com. Uh, you can stay up to date with what Meta is doing also at metaworldpeace.com. And for God's sakes, watch this documentary, Quiet Storm, the Ron Artest story. It's on Showtime. And among other things, it talks about the greatest prank in the world, where Ron Artest beat up a predetermined uh, audience in Detroit. Uh, th- those were all extras. I, we learned a lot today. That was great. <laughs> Ron, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. 
Thanks for having me. I love you guys. All right, that'll do it for another episode of Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Watch Lock It In this week, Monday through Thursday, 4.30 to 5.30 Eastern on FS1. Jimmy Kimmel Live, 11.35 tonight, every weeknight on ABC+. Plus the NBA special before and after the game, depending on which time zone you're in. That's that for the Degenerate Trifecta. Heel producer Jim Cunningham and Metal World Peace. I'm Sal saying so long and happy handicapping. Now-